Colony Street, now Wolfton Street, Limerick, is a long, narrow street close to the Redemptorist Church of Mount St. Alphonsus. At the beginning of the century, it was a lower middle-class street, a street of clerks, shipwrights, tradesmen, harbour employees, shopkeepers and publicans. In the 1870s, a small number of Lithuanian and Russian Jews, fleeing from pogroms and persecutions, came to settle in Limerick. In 1886, there were two Jewish families living in Colony Street. In 1904, there were 35 families in the city. As foreigners, the Jews found the trades, the docks, the factories closed against them, so they became middlemen in society. Travelling peddlers, small shopkeepers and hawkers. Selling clothes, shoes, furniture, pictures and other household goods. In the 1890s in Limerick, there had been one or two incidents in which Jews were assaulted and their houses stoned, but these were minor isolated happenings. Then, on January the 5th, 1904, the day on which his mother died, the Reverend John Cray, a redemptorist priest and director of the Irish Confraternity of the Holy Family, numbering 5,000 men and 2,000 boys, said that on the following Monday night he would address them on a special subject and that he had startling revelations to make. John Cray was born in Limerick in 1871, educated at the Christian Brothers School and later at Redemptorist Seminaries at Liverpool and Tynemouth. On his ordination, he was made a Professor of Sacred Scripture and Theology. He was a man of strong character, charisma and intelligence. In 1903, at the age of 32, he had become Spiritual Director of the Holy Family Confraternity. On Monday night, January the 11th, 1904, Father Cray spoke to the confraternity members. In beginning to speak to you tonight, the first thought that would come naturally to one's mind is what about Christian charity? Does not the law of our Lord Jesus Christ bind us to love all men, to look upon all men as our brothers, and even to do good to those who hate or persecute us? And again, has not our own Irish nation ever been distinguished by its hospitality to the stranger and for its sympathy with the oppressed? Yes, truly our Lord does bind us to love even our enemies, to do good to all, and our nation stands preeminent by its hospitality and by the cademille folcher that is ever on its lips. But the law of charity never interfered with or lessened a law of nature, the law of self-preservation. Individual self-sacrifice is permitted and even necessary at times. The common good and welfare of a community can never be sacrificed, must be guarded and defended, and when a common danger is pointed out, all are bound to do their utmost to avert it and to preserve themselves. It would be madness for a man to nourish in his own breast a viper that might at any moment slay its benefactor with its poisonous bite. So too is it madness for a people to allow an evil to grow in their midst that will eventually cause them ruin. The Jews were once the chosen people of God. God's mercy and favors towards them were boundless. They were the people of whom was born the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Master. But they rejected Jesus. They crucified him. 
They called down the curse of his precious blood upon their own heads. His blood be upon us and upon our children, they cried, and that curse came upon them. They were scattered over the earth after the siege of Jerusalem, A.D. 70, and they bore away with them an unquenchable hatred of the name of Jesus Christ and his followers. They persecuted the Christians from the beginning. They slew St. Stephen, the first martyr, and St. James, the apostle, and ever since, as often as opportunity offered, they did not hesitate to shed Christian blood, and that even in the meanest and most cruel manner. As in the case of the holy martyr, St. Simeon, who, though a mere child, they took and crucified out of hatred and derision towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Nowadays, they dare not kidnap and slay Christian children, but they will not hesitate to expose them to a longer and even more cruel martyrdom by taking the clothes off their back and the bit out of their mouths. Twenty years ago and less, Jews were known only by name and evil repute in Limerick. They were sucking the blood of other nations, but those nations rose up and turned them out. And they come to our land to fasten themselves on us like leeches and to draw our blood when they have been forced away from other countries. They have indeed fastened themselves upon us. And now the question is whether or not we will allow them to fasten themselves still more upon us until we and our children are the helpless victims of their rapacity. The Jews came to Limerick, apparently the most miserable tribe imaginable, with want on their faces. But now they have enriched themselves and could boast of very considerable house property in the city. Their rags have been exchanged for silk. They have warmed themselves into every form of business. They are in the furniture trade, the mineral water trade, the drapery trade, and, in fact, into business of every description and traded, even under Irish names. Just a few minutes ago, I was handed a copy of the Chronicle with an account of a Jewish wedding. Listen to what it says. At the synagogue, inside and out, were large crowds, the difference between them being that whereas those outside, most of them, were poverty's motley, those inside were clad in fine broadcloth. How does the Jew manage to make money? Some of you may know their methods better than I do, but still... It is my duty to expose their methods. They go about as peddlers from door to door, pretending to offer articles at very cheap prices, but in reality charging several times the value more than they were bought in the shops. The Jew is more persevering and barefaced in his statement as to the value of his goods. He does not mind to whom he offers his wares. A few weeks ago, I was standing with three other priests at the door of a priest's house. The victims of the Jews are mostly the women of a house. The Jew has got a sweet tongue when he wishes. 
He passes off his miserable goods upon her. She has to spare and stint to get the money to pay off the Jew without her husband knowing it. And then follows misery and deceit. The wife is afraid lest her husband should find out that she has been dealing with the Jews. The Jew makes his appearance while the husband is in the house. The shilling is slipped into his hand. He goes away. The shilling is not marked down. No credit is given for it. And this unregistered payment is made again a lawsuit. The wife, too, will beg the Jew not to come to her house. She does not want him to be seen coming. And then stealthy visits must be paid at night in the darkness, lest the dealings might be found out. Stand at a prominent Jew's house at night, and you will be surprised to see the number and the class of people who are going in and out under cover of shawls to pay the Jew his usury. Nor does the Jew care what exposure he makes to carry on his business. He is contented to carry on business in the dark, if necessary. But after that comes the court day. Visit the mayor's court on a Thursday. You may not see it now for some time, for the Jews may hold their hands. But if you visited it during the past two years, you would think it was a special court for the whole benefit of the Jews. I have here in my possession an authentic document containing a list of the summonses issued by the Jews during the past... Are we to be made fools of in this country forever? Are the Jews a help to religion? I do not hesitate to say that there are no greater enemies of the Catholic Church than the Jews. If you want an example, look to France. What is going on at present in that land? The little children are being deprived of their education. No nun, monk or priest can teach in a school. The little ones are forced to go where God's name is never mentioned, to go to godless schools. The Jews are in league with the Freemasons of France and have succeeded in turning out of that country all the nuns and religious orders. The Redemptorist Fathers the number of 200 have been turned out of France and that is what the Jews would do in our own country if they were allowed to get into power. The congregation spilling out of the church headed for Colony Street, Little Jerusalem. Jews were insulted, threatened and assaulted. This went on for the rest of the week and over the weekend. The Jews sold their goods on the instalment system but as Standish Hayes O'Grady commented at the time so did other Limerick shopkeepers, Catholic and Protestant. However, when on the following Monday they tried to collect their instalments, they were jeered and hooted, mud and stones were thrown, and the police had to intervene to protect them in the lanes of Nelson Street and Mungrath Street. The Jewish rabbi Elias Levin wrote, seeking support to John Redmond and Michael Davitt. Redmond, in a brief note, condemned the incidents. Davitt who had been sent as an observer to report on the Russian pogrom at Kishinev, wrote to the Freeman's Journal. Sir, I will ask you to allow me a little of your space to deal with a matter which is, in my humble judgment, one of public concern to all who love and revere the Catholic religion and who have no less a degree of affection for the name and honour of Ireland. It has been the unique glory of our country that its original conquest to the cause of Christianity was effected without bloodshed,
while the sons of St. Patrick have truly upheld that reputation from then till now. Irish Catholics have suffered every possible form of religious oppression known to the perverted ingenuity of the authors of the penal code, but it is their proud boast that neither in Ireland nor in any land to which English rulers forced them to fly did they ever resort to a counter-religious persecution. In the year 1747 or thereabouts, the Irish House of Commons, in rebuke to a then anti-Jewish outbreak in England, openly condemned such unchristian violence and extended a welcome to oppressed Jews to the shelter of the then laws of Ireland. A few years ago, perhaps a dozen, the chief rabbi of London, on a visit to Dublin, declared that when he set foot on Irish soil, he was in the only land in Europe in which his race had never suffered persecution. The accompanying letter explains those observations. In the sermon or speech referred to, which has been fully reported in the Limerick papers, I find the following words. They slew St. Stephen, the first martyr, and St. James the Apostle. Sir, it was atrocious language like this, which in May last was responsible for some of the most hideous crimes possible to perverted humanity in a Russian city. There is not one atom of truth in the horrible allegation about ritual murder here insinuated against this persecuted race. Again and again, to their eternal credit, the popes of the Middle Ages condemned this invention of sordid purpose or of blind haste as untrue, unchristian and reprehensible, and no pontiff has ever sanctioned the circulation of these abominable stories, the dissemination of which has led to the slaughter of tens of thousands of innocent lives throughout Europe in past times. I protest as an Irishman, as a Catholic, against this spirit of barbarous malignity being introduced into Ireland under the pretended form of a material regard for the welfare of our workers. The reverend gentleman complained of the rags and poverty of the children of Limerick, as compared with the prosperity of the Jews, and on this ground deliberately incited the people of that city to hunt the Jews from their midst. Let me suggest a field for his reforming energies which will not require the invocation of any poisonous feeling of racial animosity or of unchristian hate. Let him attack the English rule of Ireland, which levies twelve million pounds of taxes every year on our lives and industries, not to the good but to the injury of our country. Let him try and induce the people of this country to save a few millions every year out of the ten millions spent needlessly on intoxicating drink. Let him do work of this kind for the good of Limerick and the progress of Ireland, and the rags he complains of and the poverty he deplores will, if he is successful, vanish far more effectively and sooner than by preaching a cowardly vendetta of anti-Semitic prejudice. Fortunately, Limerick is a stronghold of true nationalist sentiment and cannot be induced to dishonour Ireland by any response to such unworthy and uncatholic invitations. Limerick also has a bishop of splendid intellectual powers, who is a great churchman, whatever faults some of us occasionally find with him in relation to other questions, and it is certain that a mind as clean and a reputation such as his will not allow the fair name of Catholic Ireland to be sullied through an anti-Jewish crusade under his spiritual jurisdiction to the injury and shame of a city of which every Irishman is historically proud. I remain yours truly, Michael Davitt, Dorky, January the 16th, 1904. On Monday and Tuesday night, January 21st and 22nd, 1904, Father Cray again addressed confraternity members. All non-members 
were excluded from the church. At the last meeting, I warned you to beware of becoming the slaves of Jewish usurers. I pointed out to you that the Jews were ever the greatest haters of the name of Jesus Christ and of everything Christian. I told you how they wormed themselves into every form of business, that whereas they had become here a miserable tribe, they had enriched themselves upon our poverty. And I asked you to consider well whether or not we were to allow them to fasten themselves so tightly on us that we and our children should be the helpless victims of their rapacity. Now, being responsible as I am for the welfare of the many thousands of men and boys and seeing the greatness of the evil that stares us in the face, I would consider myself a traitor to my religion or my country if I did not raise my voice, even though I stood alone against such an evil. I knew very well that I would be the object of much bitter attack from the enemies of God and from those who were in their hands and wanted to screen themselves. But I did not expect such a letter from Mr. Davitt as appeared in Monday's issue of the Freemen. I will say nothing about Mr. Davitt or to his motives in writing such a letter. I will give credit for the highest, but as his letter may be against the common good, I am surely bound to make some reply. I will read his letter for you. Mr. David writes, Sir, I will ask you to allow me a little of your space. Yes, unfortunately, Ireland has suffered every possible form of religious oppression known to the perverted ingenuity of the authors of the penal code. But tell me, is that the reason why we should voluntarily submit to another and equally cruel persecution at the hands of the Jews? As Catholics are being persecuted this day by the power of the Jews and Freemasons of France, where, as I have told you, that all religious orders have been turned out, where their property has been confiscated and seized by the state, and Catholic children forced to go to godless schools where the name of God, the name of their creator and redeemer, Jesus Christ cannot be mentioned, nor is the persecution in France anything new. Now, I did not insinuate ritual murder. I protest against such a false assertion. Nor did I ever mean to raise religious strife against the Jews, for there is no reason to be afraid of the Jews making proselytes. But since I am challenged... Let me simply translate a few pages from one of the greatest historians of the Catholic Church, one who would not relate a falsehood, l'abbé Robrachet, in his Historis Universale de l'Église Catholique. Here is what l'abbé Robrachet says. About this time, 1185, the Jews had come into evil notoriety in the West. The young king of France, Philip Augustus, showed a great aversion for them, even though they were powerful throughout his kingdom and especially Paris. His biographer, Rigaud, tells the reason. The prince was often heard to say to the noblemen who had been brought up with him at court that every year on Holy Saturday or another day in Holy Week, 
The Jews of Paris, out of contempt for the Christian religion, used to murder a Christian, as if in sacrifice in the underground places of the city. As they had continued for a long time in this diabolical hatred, they were convicted many times during the lifetime of his father and had been burnt at the stake for their crimes. Moreover, the Jews had killed and crucified St. Richard. Another contemporary, Robert, Abbe of Mount St. Michael, bears witness to the same statistics under the year 1171. Thibont, Count of Chartres, he says, burned several Jews living at Bliot because after having crucified a child at Easter out of hatred to the Christians, they had put into a sack and thrown it into the Loire where it was afterwards found. The Jews convicted of this crime were delivered to the flames except those who embraced the Christian faith. They did the same cruelty to St. William at Norwich in England. In the time of King Stephen, the martyr's body was interred. In the second half of the 15th century, the church had the glory of more than one martyr sent to heaven. The first was a young child. St. Andrew was born November 16, 1459, near Innsbruck in the Tyrol. Having lost his father at an early age, he was reared by his godfather who lived in a house near Balsano Main Road. As Andrew was playing one day with other children, he was seen by a party of Jews who were taken with the boy's appearance. These wicked-minded individuals asked the godfather to give them the child that they might look after his education. At the same time, they offered a substantial bribe in the shape of a large sum of silver. They were ten in number and headed by a rabbi. Having become the owner of Andrew, they took him into a wood, placed him on a large stone and circumcised him, uttering at the same time most horrible blasphemies against the holy mass of Jesus. The boy begged for mercy, but they took him opened his veins, fastened him in the form of a cross to a tree, and ran away. When news of this tragic occurrence was raised abroad, let the members of the confraternity investigate Jewish dealings for themselves. And then, if they find what I have said is true, and I am convinced that it is true, then I appeal to you not to be proved false to Ireland, false to your country and false to your religion by continuing to deal with Jews. If the Jews are allowed to go on as they have been doing in a short time, we will be their absolute slaves. And slavery to them is worse than the slavery to which Cromwell condemned the poor Irish who were shipped to the Barbados. Now leave the Jews alone. Remember, I warn you to do them no bodily harm. No such thing I could ever approve of. It would not be Christian-like, but keep away from them and let them go to whatever country they came from and not add to the evils of our fates. Let Mr. David write what he pleases. We know our own business here and let this 
self-constituted advocate of the Jews injure his country by nurturing such an evil state of things. There were now two camps. Cray's supporters wrote to the papers praising his stand. The delicate board of the trades supported him and condemned Davitt's intervention. So also the confraternity. The papers took sides. The Limerick Echo and Leader sided with Cray, as did the Munster News and United Irishmen. The London Times, the Irish Times, Daily Express, Manchester Guardian, Daily Telegraph and other papers supported the Jews. Limerick citizens divided on religious lines. Many of the Protestants opposed the attacks on the Jews, while the Catholics, for the most part, supported Father Cray. The Protestant stand is at least open to question, as there was bad feeling between the two churches, arising from the proselytizing activities of Dr John Long, director of the Irish Church Mission to Roman Catholics. Long and his missioners were locked in battle with the Redemptress and the Church. So when Dr Bunbury, the Protestant Bishop of Limerick, spoke in support of the Jews, the Limerick papers attacked him. The British Brothers League wrote in support of Father Cray and sent anti-Semitic posters and pamphlets. Two British anti-Semites, Joseph Bannister and Alfred Warmer, wrote to the paper supporting action against the Jews. There were private letters to Father Cray, some sympathetic, some abusive, some pleading, and at least one in which what came to be known as the final solution was put forward. Editorial by Arthur Griffith on the Jews in Limerick, 1904. Protest against an orange bigot's bigotry and the welkin rings with a frenzied cry, intolerance. Protest against the usurious and notoriously dishonest business methods of three-fourths of the Jews in Ireland. And lo, the flabby press shrieks likewise, intolerance and anti-Semitisms and some of them inflicts a column of rhetoric in the world. The Jews' religious beliefs are of no concern to the community. The Jews' business methods are. Nobody in Ireland or elsewhere, for that matter, object to the Jew worshipping God in the manner he believes proper. But everybody objects to be fleeced and swindled in the name of God. When the Jew seeks to secure immunity for extortion and fraud... I wish to protest against the views of Father Cray of Limerick with reference to our Jewish population. Such narrow-minded bigotry does not express the sentiments of Catholic Ireland, and I'm sure many will join with me in condemning the utterances of one who, by education and Christian teaching, should know better than to publicly preach against a race of people who, as every Irish Catholic knows, are good citizens hospitable neighbours, staunch and true friends, and whose generosity and charity to all, independent of creed, should make many of us, who profess to follow the teachings of Christianity, blush. I felt ashamed of my religion today, the only time I have ever done so, when I the thought that the, the of such views... Sir, I take the liberty of trespassing on your columns to in reference to Mr Davitt's letter, re Father Cray and the Jews in Limerick. Surely Mr. Davitt cannot be in earnest when he suggests that his countrymen would so far forget themselves as to attack the Jews in the brutal manner a la Russe. I am an Englishman and a Protestant. 
and have lived in Limerick for some years and know something of the Jewish method of doing business with their unfortunate and sometimes helpless customers. And I think the reverend gentleman deserves the thanks of the whole community for giving prominence to such a question that so vitally affects the poorer classes, they having to pay double the amount for value received. I contend the reverend gentleman was fully justified in protecting and advising the very large number of members. Your name is mentioned in yesterday's papers published here in connection with the persecution of the Jews. Before you lend yourself further to this business, I would advise you to read Ezekiel 25th chapter, also chapter 26, second verse. I could give you many more portions of scripture to show that while God is angry with Israel for their mighty sins and hath dispersed them into all countries of the world in judgment, Yet God deals in judgment with every one of the nations who have been guilty of oppressing them. Will you alone escape? We Gentiles are subject of jury through their fall. Romans 19 chapter. And is it not a poor return to persecute them? If you read the Holy Scriptures carefully and prayerfully and humbly, you would not cultivate the spirit of the Antichrist who is coming and will introduce the greatest boycott the world has ever known. Read Revelations chapter 13, verses 16, 17. It is a curious thing in the eyes of such as me and others who are what is called Protestant, that you and your co-religionists in Limerick, who style yourselves the church, should be animated by the same spirit as will move on the Antichrist. It may be unthinking ignorance on your part, and I thought I would give you a hint from Scripture to you of the evil consequences of touching the Jew. The Hebrew community met Bishop O'Dwyer to discuss the situation. The Reverend E.B. Levin wrote to Father Matthias Rouse, Superior General of the Redemptress, who was on a visit to Limerick, requesting a meeting. The meeting did not take place. Father Cray met a Jewish deputation from London, headed by Joseph Pratz. Afterwards, he expressed his determination to further expose their business methods. Meanwhile, in the streets and lanes, there were incidents. At the City Petty Sessions today, before Messrs E.F. Hickson R.M. in the chair, James F. Barry, John Clune, Poole Gabbett and Ambrose Hall, a number of cases were heard, charges of assault and riot arising out of attacks made on Jews in the city. The cases appeared to excite considerable interest. There were six charges at the suit of the police and four private prosecutions. Patrick Collins, a youth, was charged by Sergeant Lonergan with righteous and disorderly conduct in Nelson Street last Monday. The sergeant said he saw a crowd following someone down William Street and at the time he did not know whom they were after. When witness got in front, he saw it was a Jew. There were small boys in front throwing mud and stones, and when he got up to Collins, the defendant dropped a stone out of his hand. Collins' hands were found to be full of mud. In answer to Mr Hickson, Sergeant Lonergan said the defendant was about 15 or 16, 
and the cause of the riot was that on Monday last, the Jews went about collecting their money. As one of those present and who heard Father Cray speak... We have nothing to do with Father Cray. He did nothing but deprecate conduct of this kind, and the magistrates ought to put an end to it. I quite agree. If anyone wishes to follow the advice of Father Cray, they will act contradictory to Father Cray's intentions by using any violence. One thing I remember is that Father Cray deprecated any violence to the Jews, and I think violence ought to be put down by the bench. I am very glad of your opinion being such as it is, Mr. Clune. I quite agree with you that conduct of this kind against the Jews, or anybody else, should be put down by the magistrates. I certainly agree with you. What will you do in this case? I will punish every one of them. You must put this kind of thing down and mark your disapproval of it. The Jews have a right to live as well as anybody else. On Monday you said the Jews are pursued. Is it not a fact that nothing has occurred since? DJ O'Hara said that was so, but the police had to take measures to protect the Jews. The disorder had quieted down since. Thomas Redden was charged with being one of a disorderly crowd following and threatening Jews last Monday. Constable McCabe said he saw the defendant catch hold of two Jews and another man pulling them. Witness asked what was he doing, and Redden said if the Jew went back again for his sixpence, he would knock his bloody sconce off. Where was this? In Lord Gerald Griffin Street. This is a new way to pay old debts, not to pay them at all. Margaret Quinn was next charged with forming part of a righteous and disorderly crowd in West Watergate. Sergeant Rogan said the defendant was one of a righteous and disorderly crowd. She called one of the Jews a dolly man. Mr Hickson asked if she had an infant in her arms then as she had now. The sergeant answered in the affirmative. Ladies are admitted to the medical profession and they want to get into the bar. And the dock. <laughs> Mr. Clune asked how the woman conducted herself. Her demeanour was not very nice. Was there a Jew there at all? Defendant said she did not know if the men were Jews. Would you know the face of a Jew? Defendant said she would. When Sergeant Rogan spoke to her, all she said was... Would you not turn your back and let the crowd hunt the dolly man? <laughs> Mary Lynch was summoned for a like offence. Constable Madden said about half past twelve o'clock on Monday he saw a Jew go into Mrs Lynch. Among the people in Limerick who were, who were very highly esteemed uh, were the directors of the Arts Confraternity of the Holy Family. Michael McInerney, journalist and writer. As happened in this case... Uh, spoke out and said something important about a group of people to the ordinary people of Limerick, largely uneducated, illiterate people in 1904, remember. So that uh, when an educated man, like the head of the confraternity, makes a statement that the Jews are, 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 are people who are committing crimes, some dreadful crimes, as they were mentioned, they would say, the ordinary people would say, well, that is the truth and something will have to be done about that. That man would not say that unless it were the truth. Uh, the confraternity uh, consisted of, of almost uh, 7,000 men and boys and there were women's sodalities as, as well at that time and had an enormous influence uh, uh, among the people. Uh, priests normally were kindly people. They uh, tried to do something for the for the poor of Limerick, and there were queues of people outside the Redemptorist Church. 
physically they were very kind people. But on this particular question of, of uh, inflaming people about the Jewish people, they certainly were hardly could be described as Christian in that regard. Samuel Fine, also an Israelite, aged about 14 years, summoned Mrs. Gray for an assault on the 18th, Mr. Dodd for complainant and Mr. W. Cunahan for defendant. Fine's evidence was that he was coming through the locality in which defendant lived when she threw stones at him. One struck him on the back of the head and another on the neck. Witness showed no wounds. Mr. Cunahan objected to Marx Blonde acting as interpreter as he didn't believe he would state the facts of the case. He was a man who had already been before their worships and sentenced to two months for an assault on his father-in-law. There's no reason why you should not tell the truth on oath. I am entitled to question his credit and I will ask someone else to act in his place. Evidence for the complainant was given by Louis Kramer, a Russian Jew who said he saw Mrs. Gray throw a stone, but did not see her hit fine. For the defence, Mary Mulcahy was called, who stated that the Jew called for his weekly money, and when told that it could not be given to him, he remained outside the door making faces for half an hour. In the meantime, a crowd came up. Mrs. Gray threw a stone at the complainant, but did not hit him. I don't altogether blame the Redemptorists in regard to this uh, pogrom, and uh, if you could call it that, uh, these riots anyway against the Jews, because I have the feeling that when there are thousands of people unemployed and living in desperate poverty, it, it would be uh, 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 something that, would, that began to uh, uh, create uh, the beginnings of trade unionism in Limerick. Two purposes would have been served by, by inciting this program against the Jews. First of all, uh, local Limerick shopkeepers uh, would see the Jewish people as competitors uh, and therefore would, would uh, like to see them sent out of the place. And number two, with uh, the beginnings of, of class consciousness, of social consciousness among the people trying to organise, it would divert the minds of thousands and thousands of people away from the problems of rent and food and clothing and education and those kind of things to a point furthest away from the central point of their existence and that is to an excitement against Jewish people. And uh, the, uh, these were the really evil men uh, but Father Cray, who was, a, who was certainly a man of great education and great culture in the normal sense of the word, uh, was probably a pawn in, 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 in regard to these people, but nevertheless, the man had such education and intelligence that he should have perceived the wrong he was doing to these Jewish people at this time. However, it was the boycott that struck hardest. Jewish shopkeepers and travelling peddlers found that their former customers would not buy from them. Limerick traders refused to sell goods to Jewish customers. Money owed was not repaid. Father Cray continued to speak on the subject to confraternity members behind closed doors. An English journalist, Riversdale Cochrane, gave a reasonably objective account of the situation, which he described as being deplorable. And while being critical of Jewish methods of dealing and of overcharging for goods, he went on to say that nothing they had done was illegal. He interviewed Father Cray, who said that if he succeeded in driving them out, 
he would have accomplished one good thing in his life. Julian Grand, a director of the Irish Mission to the Jews, appealed for financial aid through the letter pages of the London Times. Rabbi Levin stated that all but two of his congregation were ruined and that only the removal of Father Cray would save his people. At the City Petty Sessions today, before E.F. Hickson, R.M., presiding, and Mr. S. Lee, a young lad named John Raleigh, who is not quite 15 years, was charged with throwing a stone and striking Mr. Levin, chief rabbi of the Jewish community in Limerick. District Inspector O'Hara prosecuted, and Mr. R. Nash, solicitor, appeared for the defendant. Mr. Levin, in reply to Mr. O'Hara, deposed that on the 4th of April, when passing by Carey's Row with two companions, he saw a crowd of boys there who threw stones at them. The defendant struck witness with a stone on the ankle of the right foot. He was helped home by his companions. Did you report it to the police? I did not. Why did you not? I cannot report every case. There's a bit of a row going on, and people say that the Jews are assaulted in Limerick. And so they are. The chairman asked Mr Levin to sit down. Mr Levin, who remained standing, said if he thought that Mr Nash was going to scandalise the Jewish community in Limerick, that he would have employed counsel. He could prove 40 assault cases within a fortnight. Behave yourself. You're making a good profit out of it. I am not. You have behaved yourself in court and sit down. Uh, how many assaults do you know of? I don't know. Too many to remember. Martin Kennedy, for the defence, stated he was with Rahali on the night in question at the trades exhibition and saw him to Mrs Holmes's house, Carey's Road, where they remained until ten o'clock. He saw accused afterwards going into his own house. There was no crowd at Carey's Road corner at that time. Mrs Bridget Holmes gave corroborative evidence. Sergeant Murray said he took Reverend Mr Levin to defendant's house where he identified John Raleigh as the boy who threw the stone at him. This closed the evidence. Mr Hickson said there was no doubt from the evidence brought before the court that this boy was guilty of the assault. The attempt at an alibi made it clearer on the evidence of the other boy that he was there and it brought him a few yards nearer to the place. The defendant would have to go to jail for one month without hard labour. You're about ships. You're about ships. My boy speak himself. One month without hard labour. I am the boy's brother. Tis a very hard case to sit up to jail. Sit down. At a special meeting of the corporation, a petition was drawn up and forwarded to the Lord Lieutenant, asking him to exercise clemency. This was not done and Raleigh served a month in Mountjoy. On his release, a large crowd turned up at Limerick Station to welcome him. He was carried shoulder-high through the streets and presented with a silver watch and chain. In July, there was another assault case. Throughout the spring, the plight of the Jews became intensely more acute. Families that were accustomed to live comfortably were reduced to poverty. The Duke of Norfolk, a prominent English Catholic, requested Cardinal Logue to intervene. But the boycott continued. More Jewish families left. The boycott went on for two years and 80 members of the Jewish community left the city. Marcus Joseph Blonde, a courageous and prominent Jew, described in a letter to the Times how a business that had taken years to build up had been ruined. 
In May 1906, Father Cray left Limerick for the mission fields of the Philippines. Subsequently, he went to Australia and died in New Zealand in 1947. The Jews continued to leave the city after 1906. In 1914, there were only nine families living in Limerick. And thus came slowly to a close an affair that was reported in papers throughout the world. Father Cray was undoubtedly the figure in the limelight during those two years. But whether or not he was used by others for local and international reasons is at least a question worth asking.